wasn't really paying attention to you in the baptism pool. Thank you for being here today. Uh, We're starting a brand new series today. If you have your Bible, take it out. Turn to Luke chapter 11. If you want to Google it, pull it up on your iPhone, whatever Bible app you use. Uh, Luke chapter 11 is where we'll be today. Starting a new series called Pray Like Jesus. When you saw the, the topic of today, maybe on the worship guide, Pray Like Jesus, maybe on the screen there, Pray Like Jesus, did anybody say, what? A church is talking about prayer? Usually that's not, I mean, it's not that out of the ordinary for us to think about coming to church and we may talk about prayer a little bit. So for the next four weeks, we're going to spend time talking about the topic of prayer from this perspective. What can we learn from Jesus about prayer? I wonder, who taught you what prayer is? What, what influences, what examples do you have, maybe either growing up or, or um, you know, the, your parents have influenced you? Where did you get your idea of what prayer is? I mean, was it just one time of year around Christmas time when everything's hectic and you're in the mall parking lot and your mom said, please, Lord, give me a parking place? Was that it? I mean, better, for better or for worse, where did you learn what prayer is all about? And I think what we're going to see in this series is sometimes we've got misplaced ideas on exactly what prayer is. Sometimes things get a little bit more about us than they do about God. Sometimes we just have these, these weird kind of ways of approaching prayer. And there's so much to learn from Jesus. So this is by way of introduction this first week to pray like Jesus. Luke 11, starting in verse 1. Scripture says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. So what we see throughout Scripture is time and time again, Jesus is is ministering, Jesus is teaching, Jesus is doing these miracles, and then all of a sudden, where's Jesus? Nobody can find him. It's because he's withdrawn. He's went away to pray. We see it in the book of Luke, for instance. Um, Chapter 3, he was praying when the Holy Spirit descended on him as a dove. We see it in Luke chapter 4. Jesus, before he begins his ministry, starts with 40 days of prayer and fasting. We see in chapter 5, he sometimes just withdraws to the wilderness to just be alone and to pray. We see in Luke chapter 6, before he chose the 12, he spent time in prayer. We see in Luke chapter 9, he's praying alone just before he asks Peter, who do people say that I am? Luke chapter 9, Before he's transfigured, he took Peter, James, and John, and they went apart on a mountaintop to pray. And here in Luke chapter 11, he's praying. And his disciples who have heard him teach, his disciples who have seen him do miracles, they notice something different. That every time they're at that place where they're like, where's Jesus? Oh, he's praying again. That something powerful was happening. And that something was being modeled by Jesus, something was being displayed by Jesus, that prayer isn't something we just talk about. Prayer is something that brings power. Prayer is a privilege. And so one of the disciples comes to Jesus in this encounter and says, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us what it means to pray because they realize there's something that they're missing. There's some kind of of inadequacy or inexperience that they're like, Lord, we need to pray like you pray Teach us to pray. Teach us what it means to pray. Not just what to say, 
but how to do it. So in verse 2, Jesus responds, As they have asked, Lord, teach us to pray. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. So this is an abbreviated version of the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6 gives us the rest of the story. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is talking and he says, Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like those hypocrites who, when they pray, here's what they want to do. They want to stand on a street corner. They want to stand up in church. They want to pray loud so that other people will say, Wow, he must be spiritual. Wow, she sounds so eloquent. She must be close to God. And he says, don't pray like that. In fact, pray in, your, in a secret place, in your closet. Have a place of private prayer. And Jesus is not saying that there's something inherently wrong with praying in public. He says, don't pray in public with an unwillingness to do so first in private. That our public religious walk is birthed in our private devotions with God. And so Jesus gives us this abbreviated form of the Lord's Prayer, not just saying, here's a prayer that I want you to repeat after me, chant after me. I honestly think I learned the Lord's Prayer, not from Sunday school in church, from Little League Baseball. I had a couple coaches when I was young that they thought like the good way to get God on our side before we play a game is to scream the Lord's Prayer as loud as we could. So we say, Our Father! Who art in heaven? As if we're going to get God's attention, the louder, the more enthusiasm we, we showed. And Jesus isn't saying this is exactly what I want you to pray. He's saying, here's a model. Here's how you can pray. And if we're going to pray like Jesus, there, there are at least five things from the text today that we'll see that our prayers should be like. Number one is this. Our prayers should be based on a relationship. Based on a relationship. That's why Jesus begins this part and he says, pray our Father. See, these Jewish guys that he's talking to, these disciples, they prayed a lot. They prayed three times a day. They prayed over and over and over again. But the way they prayed many times was, if I just pray enough, maybe then God will listen. If I just remember to be faithful to pray, then maybe God will accept me. And Jesus says, wait a minute. No, 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 no. You're already accepted. God already loves you. So pray to your Father out of that relationship. I I, I don't depend on a relationship with my kids when they finally start talking to me. I love them. I accept them. And I love to hear them say, Daddy. Now, not all the time. It can be too much at times. But there's something special about those words. Hey, Daddy. And that's in essence what Jesus is teaching us to do. Let's read a couple of other passages. Romans chapter 8 says this, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. If you've been adopted by God, you are a son of God, a daughter of God. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Here's what we believe the Bible teaches. At the moment of salvation, the moment you're walking down a road and you're facing sin, you've got your own plan and then you say, I'm stopping and I'm going to follow God. I'm turning to follow God. I'm accepting Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. In that moment, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of you. We, We know this deep, deep theological word. We just didn't know that it was maybe theological. The word adoption. And the Bible says that just like a family here on earth chooses a child, welcomes that child into their family, treats that child as if they're their very own flesh and blood, loves that child, cares for that child, knows that child just like they know their own. Just as we know that kind of adoption here, our Father in Christ adopts us and makes us His own. And so we have a relationship and prayer is birthed out of that relationship. Prayer is birthed out of knowing that God loves us and God has a plan for us. Prayer is as simple as communication. We talk and we listen. And one of my favorite studies of all times is called Experiencing God. The author Henry Blackaby says that God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church to reveal Himself, His purposes, and His ways. In prayer, we remember and we listen because God speaks. But it's based on a relationship. I mean, honestly, if you're married in here and and you're like, okay, honey, I love you, just don't talk to me. And I don't want to talk to you, but I love you. Is that working for any of us? I mean, some of you wives are like, "You you just talked about my husband. It doesn't work, though. It doesn't work that way because we know that communication, intimacy is not possible without communication. And prayer is the listening and the talking. It's the sharing birthed out of a relationship that God loves us and God longs to hear our voices. So we pray, Father in heaven. And not just an earthly father, not just an example that you may have in your mind of what you've experienced, a father who is perfect, gracious, loving, caring, father in heaven. Secondly, Jesus says that our prayer should be God-centered. Our prayer should be God-centered. What's the opposite of our prayers being God-centered? It's our prayers being self-centered. I remember growing up in North Carolina, again, the buckle of the Bible belt. And I remember we had a chalkboard in a classroom. We didn't have whiteboards or fancy boards like you have in school these days. We had a chalkboard with chalk. And what kind of prayer requests do we have? And we wrote a list and a list and a list. And I remember at some point being a young guy and just saying, man, those prayers are all about us. And there's not anything wrong with us praying for us. But if that's the totality of our prayers, maybe we're missing something. So Jesus says, pray this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It means in worship, in adoration, that prayer is an act of worship. It's God-centered, God-focused. Hallowed be your name. He also says, pray, your kingdom come. That prayer is not me with my grocery list of requests saying, God, I need this, I need this, I need this. Oh yeah, God, and if you're not too busy, I need this. Prayer is saying, hey God, I have some some thoughts, I have some plans, but God, ultimately, your 
kingdom come. God, ultimately, your will be done. What is your will, God? And prayer is this act of surrender, of me placing myself under the authority of God and saying, although I have plans, although I have some ideas, God, you know best. You know best, and I surrender myself to you to say, God, have your way. Jesus gives us this great model of this, and we're going to talk about it in three weeks in more detail. But Matthew 26, verse 39, just before Jesus is going to the cross, it says, going a little farther, that Jesus fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup, a cup of suffering, a cup of pain, be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is saying, Father, you know best. And prayer is that way that we ground ourselves to remember God has plans, God has dreams, God has a future and a hope. And we can trust Him. Thirdly, prayer is us expressing our dependence on God. Prayer is us expressing our dependence on God. Look what happens in Luke 11. Jesus says, pray, give us each day our daily bread. Give us the bread we need for today. Now that sounds strange to us because we have cabinets full of food and a refrigerator full of food. But Jesus is saying this is an acknowledgement and a remembering that every provision, every step of the day is provided by God. Pray, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into temptation. It's us expressing our dependence on God that we desperately need God. You want me to show you some people who understand this well? Who express dependence well? I would take you to a hospital. You would see men and women, young and old, you would see families who understand that prayer is expressing dependence on God. People who are crying out, God, we need you. God, help us. What about if I took you to a mall today? What if I took you to Victoria Gardens? What kind of prayers would be being prayed there? God, I hope I can pay this off when the bill comes. What if I took you to a golf course? How would God's name be used there? <laughs> Probably not prayers of dependence. Because sometimes when we think life is going well, sometimes when we are almost acting as if we've got it together, we don't understand our dependence. We don't understand what the scripture says when it says that every good and perfect gift comes from God. We don't understand that that very heartbeat is a gift from God. The very breath in our lungs is a gift from God. We, we, we think we've got it together. We don't need, but, but this reality of praying as an expression of our dependence is us remembering even in the good days, God, we desperately need you. We are dependent on you. Not on our stuff. Not on our job. Not on some other relationship. God, we need you. The psalmist wrote it this way in Psalm 109. But you, sovereign Lord, help me for your name's sake. Out of the goodness of your love, deliver me. For I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. It's the psalmist understanding that every need, every desire, we can take to God. We express to God. Help us. 
Help us, God. And then Jesus in Luke 11 goes into a story to explain what he's trying to teach. As the disciples have asked, teach us to pray, Jesus gives them an example. Read with me starting in verse 5. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend. I mean, maybe you don't have any friends. Just suppose you have a friend. And you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. Now, I mean, that's a real friend, right? I mean, you better be good friends to go knock on somebody's door at midnight. That's not the time you go meet your neighbors. Hey, neighbor, it's me. just wanted to say hi. You don't do that. You go to someone you have a relationship with. You go to someone who you know and who knows you. But you also don't go unless there is a real need. And in this society, this culture, hospitality was a high, high virtue. So if someone came to your house and they were on a journey and they said, hey, I need a place to stay, you were obligated to show them hospitality, to let them in your house, to feed them what they needed. So this person has a friend who comes and they're hungry. They've been on a long journey and they have no food in their home to feed this traveler. So they go to the neighbor's house even at midnight, to ask for help. Verse 7. And suppose the one inside answers like some of us answer, Don't bother me! The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Again, in this day and age, there weren't two, three, four, five, six bedroom houses. Most likely, it was one room, one bed. The whole family's in the bed, and the father is saying, I can't get up without disturbing anything. Everyone, so just go away. Go away. Verse 8, I tell you, Jesus says, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your, listen to this, shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. What is Jesus saying here? What what an interesting phrase, shameless audacity. Jesus said, maybe the person won't get up because you are a friend, but maybe because of your persistence, the person would get up. Maybe the first knock is like, hey, hey, are you awake? I've got a friend, we need some food. Don't bother me. Hey, no, I really need some food. This guy's hungry. Go away. We need food now. Shameless audacity to say, I'm going to be a bother. I'm going to be an inconvenience because the need is so great. What is Jesus telling us about prayer? What is Jesus telling us about God? Keep reading Luke chapter 11, verse 9. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Still, there's this progression of you ask. Then you, you go a little further, you seek. And then you go a little bit further, you persist, you endure, and you knock. And Jesus is saying there's something about being persistent. There's something about being shamelessly audacious in prayer. 
To say, God, I want to ask you to do what only you can do. And God, we want to see you move in a powerful way in our lives as only you can. That we're shamelessly audacious. And Now, don't get confused. Uh, Jesus is not saying like God is like the neighbor in bed who's reluctant. He's not saying that. He's contrasting God to say God is a giver. He is willing to give. But the scripture is full of these concepts of prayer that sometimes blow our minds and confuse us. What does it mean to be shamelessly audacious? Let's, let's read another passage. Matthew 21, 21. Jesus replies, Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, just by the way, Jesus was walking, a fig tree was not bearing fruit, and Jesus cursed the tree. They came back like the next day and it was dead. Jesus says, if you have faith and do not doubt, you can do what's done to the fig tree, but you can also say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. What is he talking about? I mean, he's not saying, is he, that anything you ask for, you can have it. Just ask for anything and you can have it. I want one of those. I don't even know if you've seen them. They're like brand new Mercedes SUVs. There's like probably two of them in Rancho. And they are amazing. I'm like, I want that. I'm going to ask for it. He'll give it to me. Or is he saying, follow the progression. If you have a relationship with God. And if you're praying prayers out of that relationship that are God-centered, god honoring God your kingdom come your will be done expressions of dependence God I need you I want your will to be done God I want your agenda to be my agenda I want your life to live through me at work and at school and then we begin to pray and God I want you to do what only you can do I'm not praying for the silly stuff I'm not praying for the crazy stuff. If I'm praying your kingdom come, your will be done, I'm praying for God kind of stuff to happen in my life, around me. And I'm shamelessly audacious to say, God, I know this is your will. I know this is your desire. And I'm hanging on and I'm calling out and I'm begging you to do in my life, through my life, God, what only you can do. We're bold in prayer. E.M. Bounds said that the strongest one in Christ's kingdom is he or she who can knock the best. And the secret of success in Christ's kingdom is the ability to pray. He says that the secret to success, the, the one who is the strongest, is the one who knows how to knock and knock and knock. And that's why Jesus says, if you ask, it will be given. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be opened. That as we're living for God and as we're trying to see Him do His work in us and through us, we can begin to pray prayers that honor Him. We can begin to pray big prayers to a big God and ask Him to do big things. Go back to my Sunday school class, my list of prayer requests. Were any of those... Big prayers or were those things that, man, that could probably be fixed with some medicine. What are we praying? Let's, let's talk about our own lives. What are we praying that 
If God doesn't come through, we're sunk. What are we praying that is worthy of our God? Because it's so big, so audacious. Not for our own selfish interests, for his kingdom's sake. Here's the problem. Some of us have prayed for things and we've cried out for things. And it didn't seem like God was listening. It didn't seem like God was answering, even though we knew it was something that was on God's heart. 350 years ago, there was a Puritan pastor named Thomas Watson. And he wrote a book called The Body of Divinity. And he said, why does God delay an answer from us? He gave four reasons. And remember, it's 350 years old, so the language is a little different. He says, sometimes God delays to answer our prayer because he loves to hear the voice of prayer. You let the musician play a great while before you throw him down money because you love to hear this music. And God loves to hear his people pray, loves to hear our voices in prayer. He said that sometimes God delays that he may humble us. See, we may too easily assume we merit some ready answer or that he is at our beck and call like a butler, not as a sovereign Lord and a loving Father. Sometimes God delays to humble us to let us know how much we need him. Some kind, sometimes God delays because he sees that we are not yet fit or ready for the mercy we seek. It may be that he has things to put in place in us or in our church or in the world. There are a million pieces to the puzzle. Some things go first to make a place for the others. So Sometimes he just sees we're not quite ready yet. And finally, he will delay it sometimes that the mercy that we pray for may be more prized and may be sweeter when it comes. See, some of you have, have taken your theological approach to prayer from the great theologian Garth Brooks. And you say, sometimes I thank God for what? Unanswered prayers. And you, you think back 15, 20, 30 years ago and you're like, man, I was in love and I was like, God, I want to marry this person. And then God didn't answer it. God answered your prayer. He just said, no. And then you see that person 10 years later at the reunion. And you're like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for not answering that prayer. God doesn't not answer your prayers. Sometimes you just don't like the answer. Sometimes he just says you're praying selfish things. No. Sometimes he says, just, just wait. The timing is not right. And sometimes he says, yes, absolutely, because this brings me glory. But here's the deal. Are we praying prayers that are worthy of our God? Are we being audacious and full of faith? Are we playing it safe? And God says, I want you to cry out for things that are big. I want you to cry out for things that you can't do on your own. I want you to pray and trust and expect that I will work. And if I don't work and you're out on a limb, guess what? You're stuck. Ask me to do what only I can do. And so we learned this lesson the hard way. We learned through these past three and a half, four years of crying out for our daughter. And, and, and we heard at one point a preacher saying, I just adopted this as my own sort of 
motto to say, I'm going to pray for our daughter to be healed of cancer. And we're going to pray it. We're going to believe it. We're going to keep on praying it until the day that God says, I've answered your prayer. Or until the day that God says, stop praying. But we're going to pray audaciously, and we're going to hold on, and we're going to listen. And so like at this last appointment when we got a good MRI, and for the first time we had a nurse practitioner look at her and say, Kate, you're a little miracle. And we're like, oh, hold on. We're going to pray, and we're going to ask, and we're not going to settle. We're not going to compromise. We're going to say, God, will you do what only you can do in our lives? And some of you have been praying for a loved one, a friend, a family member, that they would return to God. And you're weary and you're praying. But Jesus would say, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, don't give up. Keep trusting and keep praying. And asking God to do what only God can do. This should encourage us. This should enliven us to say, I don't want prayer to be boring. I don't want prayer to be just something I check off my list. I want to pray and then I want to watch with expectation for God to work. Jesus is inviting us to participate in God's kingdom. Not to miss out. Then in verse 11, Jesus says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake Instead, or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus says, you that are fathers here on earth, you know how to give good gifts to your children. I mean, some of us as fathers and and as, as mothers, we pride ourselves, even when we have multiple children, of knowing our children and their individual personalities, their individual likes. So when a season like Christmas rolls around, we have three kids, but we know, hey, this one likes this, this one likes this, this one likes this. So as we're out shopping, we're very pointed and individual, and we're like, oh, they're going to love this. Oh, they're going to love this. It's fun, isn't it? It is fun. And then on Christmas morning, when the kids come running to the the living room, and they're ripping open packages, and they're looking at you, and they're like, I love it. How did you know? You're a little proud. You're like, because I know you. Because I love you. Are you guys with me? You know what that's like, right? And, And Jesus says, okay, how much more? If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does God the Father know how to give good gifts to his children? How much more than our little understanding, our little earthly ability, how much more can our Father in heaven say, I know what is best? And what is best doesn't always feel in the moment like what is best for me, but he knows how to do what is best. And sometimes when we've asked for a fish, and we feel like God has given us a snake. We're like, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? Or we've asked for bread, and it feels like God has given us a scorpion. We're like, God, how could you? What, what's happening? We can trust that God knows what he's doing. We can trust that we are in his care Even in the struggles and even in the hard times, God loves us how much more. 
Does he love us and can he do for us than anyone else? But listen to the nuance in that last verse. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Give the Holy Spirit. You see, God, God doesn't save us and then say, okay, run along, figure out this life thing all by yourself. He saves us, he calls us to himself, and then he gives us his spirit to live through us, to live in us, to empower us to do what only we can do. So this last part of praying that we can't miss is we pray empowered by the Holy Spirit. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Read a couple of passages with me. John 14 says this, starting in verse 12. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, listen to this, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. I will do whatever you ask that brings glory to Christ. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father... And he will give you another advocate, literally means helper, give you a helper, to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives within you and will be in you. Jesus says the the Father will give you this spirit and the spirit will empower you. He will live in you. He will give you the ability to do the things that God calls you to do. He will even give you the ability to pray when you don't even know what to pray. Romans 8 verse 26, in the same way the Spirit helps in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that what God is promising us is this opportunity for the Holy Spirit to infill us, to fill us with power, to fill us with an ability to carry on and live this life. And so Jesus is saying, don't do it on your own strength. Don't go through this life on your own. If you, in prayer, begin to realize who God is, what Christ has done for you, and base prayer in that relationship That it's not some duty, it's not some checklist, it is based out of a relationship. And and you begin to pray, not based off of your selfish desires. There is a time to pray for our own desires, but always rooted in God. Your kingdom come, your will be done in my life. God, you have your way. God, do in me things that only you can do. God, do around me and my family and my friends things only you can do. And expressing our dependence that we need you. God, even in our success, even when things are going great, we need you to help us not lose focus, to help us not get sidetracked. We need you. And begin to pray audaciously. Bold prayers. For Christ's glory, for his name's sake. That God would do what only he can do. And that through his spirit's empowering, we can live, we can be Who he's called us to be. Don't you think things would start to change? Don't you think an impact would be made? Don't you think it would look different? And this is different for me than what I experienced at a chalkboard of, okay, who has the next prayer request? 
And then we wrote them down and we forgot about it. We begin to live with expectation. We begin to live every day just wondering, what is God going to do today? Where is God going to be at work today? And life looks different. We're full of anticipation. We're full of excitement about what God wants to do, even in the middle of the hard times. So I have a challenge for you. If I were to ask you today, do you believe in prayer? Probably most of us would say, yes, I believe in prayer. Prayer is important. And then if I asked you, okay, well, how's the quality of your prayer life? Most of us would say, it's not where it should be. Would you take a step forward this week? Would you grab your calendar, grab your iPhone and say, okay, I'm going to schedule, make prayer a priority now. These are when I'm, this is the time I'm going to do it. As a husband and wife, would you get together and say, here's when we're going to pray this week. With your kids, here's when we're going to pray. With a friend, hey, can we just connect and just pray for 10 minutes, 15 minutes today? Make it a priority. Don't delay. Don't wait. Say, I'm going to make it a priority. I'm going to understand that I can't live the life that God has for me in my own strength. But wow through his power, and through his help. Life's going to look different. Life's going to be full of expectation. He's going to move, and I'm going to expect him to do so. Let's pray. God, we, we just look at these passages, and sometimes it's, it's shocking to see what you say, but at the same time, it's so simple. If you really are a God, we can be who you have called us to be. We can, through prayer, talk and you listen. We can, through prayer, have our lives adjusted to where we're not just living on our own agenda. We're living your plan, your purpose, your mission. And that makes work look different. That makes school something else, something more unique it gives a new purpose and a new passion to do the things that we do. God, I pray that you would begin to teach us how to pray. Remind us of the great privilege, the great joy, and the great delight that it is to pray and the strength, the power that comes from committing ourselves to you. And God, as, as your people begin to pray, as we begin to experience you, we begin to see you move, see you at work. We begin to see you accomplish what only you can do. I just want to ask all of us to stand up right now. And God, as we stand up, I, I just pray over every man and every woman, every boy and every girl, that you would meet them today, that in this place, even through a time of waiting on you, you would speak. God, again, remind us of how much you love us. God, remind us of the, the purpose that you have for our lives, God, and empower us. Fill us now with your Holy Spirit. Oh, God, we need you. And we are asking you and begging you to do in our lives what only you can do for your name and for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.